Bonjour everyone and welcome back to Casselerine, the French football podcast with the accent. My name is Jeremy Magan and I'm your host, of course, as usual. The podcast is brought to you by the Breaking the Lines Network. Jump on breakingthelines.com to read the latest curated football opinions, a few articles of note. There's a, there's a nice little feature on Antoine Griezmann, one on Gus Chill, and one on um, Alejandro Garnacho. So good readings to have. Jump on the other podcast of the Breaking the Lines Network as well. I was just on one. Um, just this morning here in Australia, uh, the Congestion Football Podcast, where um, Edward and I talked at length about the RC Lens. So if you are interested in uh, in the club and its history and how they got to where they got now, just jump on that podcast when it's released and you'll hear a bit more about Les Saints et Or. Here, we are going to talk about Ligue 1, round 31, the round of the home games. Nine out of ten uh, home teams won on the weekend. Uh, only Lyon managed to, uh, to get a win away. And the round that might have sealed the season for more than one team. The title might be played and, and most of the relegation um, spots might have been taken as well. Casseleligne starts in a second, but first, as usual, music. So it was an exciting round of football in Ligue 1. We're going to go through all 10 games. Of course, there's three games that have watched more than, than others, and there's definitely a little bit of news uh, that uh, came out during the week about Ligue 1 that we're going to have to, uh, well, stop and, and talk about and, and discuss. Uh, well, we're going to start with PSG Lens, of course, and, and I think that's where most of the of the pitch news come from. So I'm sure people who follow Ligue 1 are aware now. Ten days ago or so, apparently a, a, an email was circulated to some journalists, Romain Molina and Daniel Riolo, uh, where two that sort of like blew the whistle on it or that, I guess, leaked the that email that was leaked to them, uh, to the public. And, and basically that email was an email from Julien Fournier who at the time was a sporting director at Nice, and he sent that to his uh, boss uh, from the uh, Ineos Corporation, where he basically explained why he couldn't work with Christophe Galtier, who then was the coach at Nice. And apparently it's a, it's a very, very, very long email that sort of like dates and, and marks every single uh, little you know, events that happened during the season at Nice. Uh, and of course, the one that made the much noise and, and the one that was released to the public uh, by, by Romain Molina first, and then uh, sort of like verified and, and I guess authenticated, at least the email was authenticated by Daniel Riolo and the RMC uh, team, that, that French football show, um, is the moment where apparently Julien Fournier saw coming into his office the, uh, the stepson of uh, Christophe Galtier, who happened to be uh, an agent and who Julien Fournier um, described as a, a, a bit of an illegal agent, an agent without having the, um, the the diploma, I guess, the paperwork to, to be an agent anyway. Uh, and he said that this um, agent came into the the office of Julien Fournier and basically told Julien Fournier um, something along the lines of, my dad, talking about Christophe Galtier, um, is not comfortable in this club. There's too many, and, and I'm sorry about that. I'm going to quote roughly what he said. There's too many um, people of, of Muslim faith and, and too many black people in that team. And that doesn't um, that doesn't make my dad comfortable. Um, something along those lines. We need to hire more white people. And apparently he put forward Jordan Ferry, poor guy getting um, dragged in the mud for no reason, who played who plays for, uh, for Montpellier. Um, apparently Julien Fournier 
uh, hears this and, and of course doesn't like what he hears. So he just tells the guy to just get out of his office and, and calls in Christophe Galtier and asks Christophe Galtier if um, what his son said is true. And then Christophe Galtier suggested, suggested to have answered um yes that's that's it that's true i was in a restaurant in nice yesterday and all the fans came and told me that there's too many people of color in our team and it's not our team uh, and and supposedly um allegedly christophe gatier would have told julian Fonia at that moment um you have to build a team that reflects what the city is uh and right now that's not the case and and again there's too many uh people of color in our team so hopefully obviously huge waves after after this was was released at the end of the day it's an email that has been authenticated so it's an email that Julien Fournier apparently did send to his boss but it's an email that recounts facts so are the facts true is obviously where uh, where we're going to have where, where the work is happening right now in France and there's police looking at computers and and going to the Nice um club right now to sort of try and get as many documents as possible to 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 check on that claim. What happened next uh, last week was basically Christophe Galtier saw his um, personal detail leaked on social media, um, received a, a ton of threats, death threats, and of course it's it's as unacceptable as what he allegedly um, said. Um, and so he had to like like a security detail detached to him. Uh, and and all sort of stuff that always happen in football, unfortunately, because uh, because people don't have any self control uh, and, and always want to uh, to take it too far. So um, you know, it, it is at this stage all again just um, just alleged accusation, and uh, and it's it's definitely a case of he said he said uh, because it's it's an email, but it it just recounts something that apparently was said. Christophe Galtier came out and said I didn't say anything um, that was um, sort of. He basically said he, he, he didn't say I didn't say that. He said I didn't say anything that was um, that was this disrespectful or so, or something along those lines. So without saying that's that's not true, he said I didn't say that. Basically, he didn't use he said I didn't use this, those words. Um, so he he denied it and he obviously started uh, suing both Molina and. Um, and Riolo, and, and then um, Julien Fournier was contacted for comment, and he said he wouldn't comment at this time, uh, and some players were contacted, and nobody commented. Instead, what we've seen is other coaches and other players coming to the rescue and saying that Galchi wasn't a racist, that they were coached by him, friends of him, uh, and that he had never been uh, somebody who was racist. Um, one coach even said, uh, Eric Roy, who's the coach at Brest right now, uh, that it wasn't surprising to him that a guy like Julien Fournier would put such accusations uh, out in the public because that's that's the way he does business, uh, which is a bit damning for for the former sporting director of Nice. Uh, and so, at the end of the day, that that has created you know a huge amount of debate um, and a debate of things that I think need to be debated in French football and and maybe in the French society as well because the debate went from oh my god he said that to uh, well, you know, there are a lot of Muslims in France and uh, in France, excuse me, and what happened in football when players are doing the Ramadan. And so it, it 
straight away, you know, the, those two, three things that we've been talking about the last two, three weeks since, you know, the Ramadan period started, um, there was a bit of a, it was a bit of a catalyst of, of all these discussions that have happened. And it almost sort of like peaked to a moment where uh, Samir Nasri, the former Manchester City and Marseille and Sevilla player, was on a, on a French um, football television show. And one journalist said, you know, players... Um, there's no way players can perform well when they are doing the Ramadan because they don't eat and, and it's physiological and, and biological. If you don't eat and don't drink, then you can't perform. And then Nasri got quite irritated and said, but you can't say that because look at a player like Benzema. He's the best player in the world uh, and, and, he's, and he performs and he does the Ramadan and you're not allowed to even say Ramadan. It's faith. Um, it, it's, you're, not even, sorry, you're not allowed to use the Ramadan as an excuse to put a player on the side because it's their faith and what you only thing that you have to look at is their performance. If a player outside of the Ramadan was refusing to drink water, nobody would think twice about it. The fact that it's Ramadan, Samir Nasri was basically saying that it looked like um, it looked like a way to target um, the, the, the Arab community and the Muslim faith. Uh, and, and Samir Nasri was basically saying that it wasn't fair and I tend to agree with what Nasri was saying. Um, and, but the, the journalist on the other side was trying to, I don't think he was trying to be racist but i think it used probably the worst um like the worst way of trying to approach the subject that it could uh, probably taken by the emotion and by the moment uh, but mind you he also brought a lot of click uh, and a lot of buzz around this tv show so maybe they're on purpose but uh but, but yeah it was it was yeah it was basically a bit of a uh the week of the clumsy world and and at the end of the day um if galche did say that um i think we'll know we'll know We'll, we'll have some elements soon and I think we'll have the rest of it at the end of the season. I think the people are only going to talk when once, you know, they don't risk to be dropped by their club. They don't risk to not find a club the week the year after. Uh, so, you know, everybody's pressing on the former Nice players to say something and so far nobody has said anything. Uh, but, but people have sort of like gotten some some footage back uh, of Julien Fournier nine months ago who said something along the lines of, if I say what, um, why um, why me and Galchi didn't work out together, Galchi won't be able to ever sit on the bench anymore. And then nine months later, we got this coming out. Uh, a guy like Mario Lemina said, said something along the lines of, um, I think it's something like, oh yeah, it's a team can't be so good and then so bad um, just after. So obviously something happened and, and one day it'll, it'll, it'll come out and then somebody else put on Instagram something like, um, you know, the, the the lies take the elevator and the truth uh, takes the stairs. It'll take some time, but the truth will come out. So a, a bit of cryptic communication around a subject that is very, very complicated in France with, with the society who is obviously... Uh, still coming to grips with its immigration, with its population. Uh, I mean, you know, there's a reason why every single time there's an election in France, 30% um, of the of the votes um, go to the um, the right wing party, the extreme right wing party, the one that uh, would would love to see a, uh, a supposedly white French French, and and that's that's obviously uh, something that's terrible. But that's what the society is made of in France. There are people that are from the immigration and there are people that would like, uh, well, those people to not be in their country. And, and unfortunately there's a lot of ignorance and a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, pre-made ideas. And, and then uh, I say often, I think on this podcast, football is a reflect of French society. And so there was no reason that the racism wasn't going to uh, come in and show 
that he had his place, unfortunately, in football as well in France because it's everywhere in society. So, of course, it's going to happen here and there on our football pitch. Uh, and anyway, it's obviously a, a sad episode of, of our season. And I think regardless of what happened, Christophe Galtier is going to have now this sort of like um, stuck to him forever. I mean, we're seeing Laurent Blanc with what he did about 10 years ago when he was uh, at the French Federation. And he made some, again, very clumsy uh, slash racist um, comments saying that, you know, in, maybe in the in the youth in France, we should see less. Um, I, I don't remember the exact word that he used, but basically he said we should see less youth player um, coming out of um, African descent that are able to um, change nationality once they've been fully trained by France, as if that's, that's what they want to do every single time. Uh, and he said we should see more um, white French French player that don't have the choice of getting to a second nationality. So then we don't train youth to them, see them going to play for another nation, which is quite ridiculous. Uh, but again, that's, uh, that's you know, people trying to find weird solutions, forgetting about the society that they live in um, and trying to say that regardless of what happened in the past, um, we shouldn't look at it and we should just look at what's going on now, which unfortunately you always have to consider a little bit of the past. And the past of France is that it's a, a former colonialist empire. And that as a, as a result, uh, there's going to be, you know, ethnicities and communities and immigration and uh, and sometimes tensions between them all. So, so anyway, we we don't know we don't know yet the end of the story, of course. And all we know is that that email was sent by Julien Fournier to his boss at Ineos. Uh, that after that, um, you know, maybe not as a consequence, maybe as a consequence, um, Galchi left for for Paris Saint Germain, and that when he when you did, nothing was um, told, nothing was leaked. Um, you know, there's, again, some he says, she says here and there and some rumors, but nothing else was confirmed. And now, um, interestingly enough, a week after um, Galche um, criticized the Nice um, team qu- quite harshly because of uh, what he read into the into the, the audience, into the stands, when he came in and win with his team at the... Um, at the Allianz Arena and when something wrote something like uh, some Galchi's mother or something like that and then Galchi in the press conference said that you know his mother had uh, was 93 years old and, and was just uh, rehabbing from cancer so it'd be good if she was um, kept outside of um, outside of football and outside of this sort of, uh, of comment uh, and, and yeah, interestingly, interestingly enough three days after that um, then somebody leaked this email where, where Galchi is called a racist and, and a bigot. So it's a, it's a heavy story. It's a story that, you know, deserves like a full episode to talk about the French culture, if people aren't aware um, and, and what happens in French culture. And also, you know, I'll, I'll go I'll go right ahead and say that I agree with um, Samir Nasri that it doesn't matter what you do at home. It doesn't matter, um, you know, what you believe in, what your faith is. If your faith says you can't do something, then don't do something. Uh, and if, that means that you perform less well, then the coach should get you out. If that doesn't mean anything about your performance, then the coach should play you. It's it's basically simple as that. You know, the coach doesn't get annoyed that you can't drink water. The coach gets annoyed that because you can't drink water, he sees you running out of steam. So if that's what happened, then get the guy out. If that's not what happened, then you don't have a you don't have any ground to say anything. If you're afraid that your team might not perform because everybody 
is not drinking, then you have to go to your player and say, how come you're not performing? And if they say, oh, that's because I'm hungry or that's because I'm thirsty, yeah, great, then you don't play. If they say, just because I'm performing, I'm going to be better and I get better, then okay. But it doesn't matter what they do at home. And I think there's a, yeah, there's there's 11 other months in the in the, in the the year um, that can be considered and decisions shouldn't be made about the one month where um, people that are Muslim and even Catholics that are um, fasting are judged because of what they do, uh, because of their faith. Long story short, we're waiting to see what happens, and um, and it's an interesting, interesting development again that uh, that has happened in the uh, in the French football. You know, a week after what Comboire had, had said, and and you can you know again I respect also what coach said. You know, if the coach says um, when you sign in, people that are fasting can't play with me uh, on the day. If, if it's their call, it's their call. There's a difference between saying that and saying, build me a team that has, um, you know, more white faces and less black faces and less Arabic faces uh, because I want a team that's more white because it looks more like the, the city that we live in. I, I don't know if Gatchi said that. I don't know if uh, Gatchi meant to say that when he said that. If he said that, um, I know that Nice, like I said, like every other city in France has a, uh, you know, has, has a part of their city that definitely is racist there's no other word uh and so maybe maybe one day he found himself in a restaurant that was full of racists and they all said that to him uh, and somehow he believed that it was what nice was i don't know he's born in france is what i know he's born in marseille is what i know so he's you know born and raised in diversity he's played football all his life uh, and i guarantee you that with the teams that he played at and that he coached he was never um you know sort of like a fully white if that's still a thing um and so he's always you know from the outside looking in he's always behaved the right way with anybody from any ethnicity and diversity so so what happened in this is a big question mark again he defended himself said that he didn't say anything out of line um it's interesting right because he didn't say i didn't say that he said but those are not the things i've said so anyway it's uh it's a story that's unfolding and it took a big chunk of the um, of the news last week, and and yeah, he kind of opened up on other uh, debates. Some of them very interesting and necessary in in our in our French football in our French society. Uh, and you know, hopefully, that's the last time that we hear some some stupid allegations like this. Um, hopefully, they are not true. Uh, and if they are true, well, unfortunately for Christophe Galtier, probably needs to uh, to come out and and profusely apologize and try to explain why. He said that if he didn't mean it or uh, or if he did mean it, then maybe football isn't the sport for him. You know, everybody changes with age and maybe you can be born in a uh, poor background and, and, and mixed with anybody during your youth. And then when you're old, you become a bit more ignorant, a bit less smart. And then you you think that your issues come from the uh, the other person instead of instead of looking inwards. Um, anyway, that's the that's the parenthesis about the society, the French society, and what happened after those uh, those words that were written and whether they were said or not is now the question. Uh, let's let's talk about football, shall we? Let's talk about why we're here. Uh, football to Paris and Lens is that first game that we're going to cover. Lens, who had a chance to come back three points behind Paris and Lens for the first 20 minutes, who looked very keen. And if, if I have to say... You know, more, uh, yeah, more dangerous and more threatening and, and more able 
to get a victory in, in Parc des Princes and potentially to get the game. But then it came the, the 20th minute and, and Salis Abdul Samed with that late foul on Ashraf Hakimi. At first, he sort of like said, uh, you know, it's bad refereeing and he shouldn't get um, he shouldn't get sent off for it. And then I think later on, you saw the images and realized and then uh, profusely apologized for uh, for his tackle and for the fact that A, he almost injured Hakimi because it could have been bad, but B, that he let down his team and his uh, fans by uh, by getting sent off after 20 minutes when Lance were basically forcing Paris to play with five defenders and when Lance already had the opportunity to put Donnarumma in danger and, and we're the better team. Uh, after that, you know, Lance is only 10 men uh, on the field and there is um, 20, 17 minutes to play. It's always going to be complicated and, and then the, the Kylian Mbappé show started. He scored um, a goal and he gave an assist. And in the meantime, uh, in between those two, Vitinha scored a beautiful goal shot from outside the box and and, and then he was 3-0 in 10 minutes. And what can you do when, when you're lost? Uh, you know, that first goal from Kylian Mbappé is, is almost genius the way he's able to shoot while he's twisting that assist for the third goal on Lionel Messi is pure genius. So, you know, Mbappé, even though he's not in the best form and neither is Messi, uh, when they need to accelerate and when they find each other, they are unstoppable. And fortunately for, for Lance, they suffered the talent of those two uh, brilliant players. And in 10 minutes, it was 3-0, like I said. And then at halftime, a couple of changes made by Frank Ayers to try and sort of like rebalance the, the, the team. And, and a penalty was awarded at the hour mark that uh, Premislav Frankowski uh, converted for, for 3-1 with half an hour to play. Then after that, although Lance pushed, uh, Donnarumma was solid uh, and Lance got the win. Uh, got, sorry, and Paris Saint-Germain got the win, of course. Um, 3-1 and, and a nine-point cushion, which is going to be probably enough now for Paris Saint-Germain with seven games to go. And we'll look at those seven games uh, later. But basically, they are playing six teams that are fighting for survival in Ligue 1, but that are not... Uh, performing well enough to even bother Paris Saint-Germain. So you would think that now this is their 11th Ligue 1 title sealed uh, after that win at home against the second on the table. Uh, Francaise, you know, must be disappointed not to be able to, uh, to you know, play 11 against 11 for the whole game because, like I said, the, the start of the game was bright for Lens. But at the end of the day, you know, Lance really wants to go in Europe next year. I think everything else was a bonus. And so the fact that they were able to fight for so long with Paris Saint-Germain is probably even enough for them to, uh, to, to think that they had a, to realize that they had a great season. Uh, and I'm sure that they didn't necessarily want the title to sort of confirm that their season was good. So it's a loss for Lance that offers the title to Paris Saint-Germain most likely. Uh, and that allows, we'll see Marseille to overtake Lance on the table. But it's not the game that Lance absolutely need to win. There's a few games coming for Lance against Monaco, um, against Marseille, against Lyon, that they need to win if they want to stay into the European uh, settings. And, and that's what I think Francaise and his players are going to focus on right now. The next game was the last game play of the weekend. And it was Marseille against Troyes on paper, you know, there, there was nothing Troyes would be able to do to stop Marseille. And on the game, that's exactly what happened. 3-1, three, three, I was going to say 3-0. 3-1 for Marseille, 3-0 into the 90th minute. 
uh, two goals for Vitinha, the uh, the Portugal the Portuguese striker who uh, came for 35 million um, euro in the winter transfer window, the most expensive player Marseille ever bought, who finally scores his first goal in Ligue 1 and make it two uh, for Marseille, and and you can see the the relief and and the the joy, almost the cheers when he scored the first goal, and then uh, the relief again after the hour mark when he scored his second goal because he missed a couple of opportunities. In between, Senjizunder scored the third goal for Marseille, and at the very, very, very end of the game, Mama Balde was able to uh, get away from his defenders and wrong-foot Paul Lopez from just uh, from close range, uh, allowing Trois to to score a, a useless goal, but at least a goal that um, you know maybe give them a bit of. A, of confidence for the for the next few games. If you look at the stats, Marseille seventy two percent ball possession, twenty eight shots, six on target, three four shots, two on target, three uh, who are just downright you know not at the level of what Ligue 1 um, needs. They are now on on fourteen games without a win. Uh, you know, Patrick Kisnarbo becomes the uh, the worst um, manager or like the worst starts for a manager. Uh, is his in the 21st century with only seven points in 14 games, um, and, and they're just they're just struggling. Trois Marseille is now with a five game without loss, and they're trying to uh, they're trying to to stay in contact. They they, they get a, a point above Lens with that win. They come back into that second position. They are eight points without, behind Paris Saint Germain. I don't think that they believe that they can get anywhere near the club of the capital. Um, but they have a, a few interesting games coming up as well. Lyon first, and then uh, we mentioned it, Lens and Marseille are going to play each other soon. So it might be what decides who gets to the uh, to the Champions League straight away and who has to go through a, a, a preliminary round. But Marseille, in the meantime, uh, with a solid win against a team that looks like they barely have the, the Ligue 2 level anyway. So uh, that shouldn't stay in Ligue 1 for much too long. Um, Stack 3. Another game that I watched over the weekend, or I just removed it from my from my screen. We're going to get it. Was uh, Lille against Montpellier, uh, and and you know a game that could have gone the wrong way for Lille, uh, like so many games that Lille has played, because Montpellier uh, attacked first and attacked strong, uh, and and they we know how strong they are in counter attack, and that's exactly what they've done. They let Lille have the ball. They let Lille try to. Uh, put them aside, but then every time they were going on counter attack, it was it was scary what Montpellier was able to do with, of course, Teji Savanier, Wabi Kazri, Arnaud Nordin, Ali Wahi, uh, and the first goal came from their left back um, Isiaga Silla after a nice, it says assist from Wahi, but really, it's an assist from um, Nordin or Kazri, I can't remember who was on the right side at that time, uh, and and Wahi tried to shoot and and kind of uh, doesn't connect well, and he ends up being a pass on the far post for Isiaga Silla who finish up. After that, um, you know, Lille tried to push. This was the only shot on target for Montpellier, by the way. Four shots, one on target. Lille, 17 shots, seven on target, and 69% possession. Uh, after that, Lille pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed uh, and weren't able to score the, the decisive goal uh, until far after the hour mark, 70th minute. Jonathan David, uh, the double given by Remy Cabela, scored the first one. And then a minute and a half later, it was Remy Cabela himself who um, decided to, uh, you know, give his team the advantage and advantage that they wouldn't let go in front of uh, Benjamin Lecomte. Benjamin Lecomte, who's been 
great again for Montpellier. Um, a crazy number of saves. I really did his best to try and leave Lille out of the points for, for this weekend. But eventually, it didn't work out thanks to a, an inspired Remy Cabela and an efficient Jonathan David. Uh, Lille was able to finally um, hold on to a score that should be theirs and get the result that they deserve uh, by, by winning this uh, this game 2-1 against a, a strong Montpellier team uh, who who was you know enjoying life under their Zakarian and who unfortunately um, wasn't able to uh, to keep uh, another another good results at the at Stade Pierre Morois, which is a, a stadium that is always hard to get a result at. Uh, but the final score was Lille 2 and Montpellier 1. Let's look at the rest of the games in Ligue 1. The first one, Monaco against Lorient. Lorient, who were able to get a point in against Marseille last week at home. Uh, but Lorient, that were picked early by Monaco, whose uh, firepower up front uh, really spoke. Crepenjata scored the first goal after 14 minutes. Alexander Golovin scored at the 27 minute. And in the second half, Kevin Boland uh, scored the third goal at the 55th minute. Two assists from Wissam Benyener. Ibrahim Akone reduced the score to 3-1 on penalty at the 86th minute. Too little, too late for Lorient. And, and in the meantime, it's Monaco who make sure that they stay in touch with the top three and, and who don't want to let that um, you know, that comfortable seat, four seat go and, and hopefully trying to really come and bother Lens and, and Marseille, who they're going to play uh, against in the next few games. Um, Monaco, who I don't know, I, I don't, I'm having a hard time understanding them. Basically, they alternate good and not good. And, and that first half was all right. And Kevin Volant back from injury actually had an okay game and, and deserved to score that goal. Uh, but besides that, it's, Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So you can't really predict with Monaco. But on this opportunity, a 3-1 win against Lorient that I'm sure they will take in their race to get to a European spot. Another team that wants to get to the European spot and that had been disappointed in recent weeks despite two wins against Paris Saint-Germain in 2023 is Stade René. Stade René, who had a tricky encounter this weekend with Reims coming to visit them uh, will still protege unfortunately well folded quite quickly with Jeremy Doku from uh, Rennes scoring two goals within the first 20 minutes at the ninth and the 19th minute and Arthur Theat scoring his third goal the third goal of the game at the 68th minute on a corner I think like every game every goal Arthur Theat has scored was uh, on corner kick it's interesting to see the, the ball possession, the expected goals for, for Rennes, three expected goals for three goals. That's perfect. Uh, the ball possession, 51%, 23 shots. Uh, mind you, only eight on target, but it really pushed Rennes into their, their retrenchment and into their defensive mode. And it was hard for Rennes to basically get out of it. Um, and Rennes got a, a much deserved 3-0 win. They are on the table two points behind Lille with fifth. So uh, that win allows them to stay in touch with Le Dog. Uh, and, and hopefully they can have an actual good series of game in a row because Rennes has been very, very inconsistent this year. And that's, pro this year, excuse me, and that's probably why they are not on the top four at this stage of the season. To lose against Lyon was another um, interesting game to watch. And uh, Lyon, you know, we keep saying it, they alternate. Good and less good. They attacked the, the game on the front foot, got a penalty kick just after the, the half-hour mark, which Alexandre Lacazette transformed and then were surprised minutes later by Zakaria Abouhlal, the 
uh, winger slash forward from Toulouse. Uh, but late, late, late into the second half, an own goal by Logan Costa gave the three points to Lyon. Uh, Lyon, who, yeah, like I said, go, goes sort of like hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, uh, but are only five points behind Lille. So, you know, there's still a chance for them to be able to uh, to climb back those five points and find themselves in European spot. Nothing is impossible. Uh, so maybe maybe Lyon can make it. But uh, yeah, it's it's good to see them under Laurent Blanc. They're really on a, uh, on a solid streak. Um, you know, it's, uh, <clears throat> it, it's something that, we don't, we're not used to see anymore from Lyon to have uh, consecutive uh, good games, uh, but hopefully they can uh, they can keep it that way. I think, yeah, five games without a loss right now. So if they can keep that going, they might find themselves a bit higher on the table come the end of the season. Auxerre and Nantes, yeah, talking about a team that's inconsistent. Nantes, uh, Nantes who last week considered two goals in the first half and scored two in the second half to come back level. They tried to do the same thing this week. They considered a penalty uh, from Jubal at the fifth minute, uh, a goal from Nuno da Costa at the 43rd, and then they tried to come back and answer 10 minutes after the break. It was Mustafa Mohamed who scored a header after a, an assist by uh, Moses Simon. But unfortunately, Nantes pushed, pushed and pushed. But Donovan Leon, the second goalkeeper from Auxerre, um, was solid, uh, did an, an awesome job uh, defensively and pushed all the attacks that Nantes tried to put on his way. Uh, Auxerre, with that win, with that crucial win, get above Nantes on the table and put themselves out of the relegation zone for Nantes. It's a bit scary. We're not far from the uh, relegation zone and there's still that French Cup final that I'm sure they're going to be focusing heavily on so um, yeah he's going to have to try and re-motivate his troops um, Antoine Combaré because right now it doesn't look good uh, and there's not a lot of time to make sure that the season finishes well uh, but, but in the yeah, in this instance they lost 2-1 at Auxerre a team that you know is in form but now should be able to uh, to see off easily usually Clermont against Angers, a game where Clermont finished with nine men, yet won 2-1. And the two goals came on penalty. Grejean Kay at the 33rd minute and Mohamed Cham at the 39th minute. Lucky Mohamed Cham, who, uh, whose penalty wasn't shot really well and Bernardoni had a foot on it and then he miraculously bounced in the goals to give the win to um, Clermont, the first goal of the game had come from Adrien Unou on the service by Nabil Bentaleb at the 28th minute. So, uh, Angers were up 1-0 at first. And then after the two goals from, uh, Clermont, uh, Neto Borges got a red card just before halftime. So Clermont had to play a full second half with only 10 men. It didn't change much for Angers who kept pushing. And then in the dying embers of the game, we had, uh, Alidou Seydou. Getting a red card for a for a pretty a pretty um, bad gesture. I think he he's on the floor and one of the Angers subs somehow uh, shot the ball at him and he got angry about it and and stood up and basically placed his hand his hand on the um, throat of the Angers player, which of course isn't acceptable. And uh, and then um, he got a red card for it. So they're going to have to do without Neto Borges and without Alidou Seydou next week. Clermont, luckily, they are. Pretty safe at the table right now. Brest-Nancy was another uh, game that maybe didn't have anything involved, but 
could either allow Brest to take their distance with the relegation zone or Olat needs to stay in contact with the Europe. Well, that was the former Brest scoring very early with Jeremy Le Doiron, a nice header at the 12th minute. And they were never able to come back. Uh, this never, never able to be joined back, I should say, uh, with Nice uh, trying their damnedest to score a goal, but uh, just, just failing and, and 12 shots, six on target. 48% possession. Um, you know, they, they had in front of them a, a Brest team that is very strong defensively with Marco Gisot and Brendan Chardonnay, for example, but are also, uh, you know, striking in counter-attack and you always have to be careful not to uh, open up too much because when they start attacking on in counter-attack, they can be almost unstoppable, the, the start Brestois. Uh, in, that, in that instance, a good 1-0 win that they will be happy with Brest because, yeah, like I said, it pushed them um, a little bit away from the um, relegation zone, at least for uh, for one game. They got 31 points. They're two points away from Strasbourg right now. It was a win that was important for Brest, and luckily for them, they got the three points. Last game of the weekend, and also an important game, Strasbourg against Ajaccio, and a 3-1 win for the Alsacian team. The goal scorer, Kevin Gamero, on penalty at the 26th minute, Habib Jara with his first Ligue 1 goal at the 71st minute, and Yuito Suzuki, another one who scored his first Ligue 1 goal at the 89th minute for Strasbourg. Michael Beretto for Ajaccio had reduced the score at the 76th minute, but too little, too late, and Yuito Suzuki didn't hear it from that year and scored the third goal instead. Uh, Strasbourg with these three points who are not coming out of the relegation zone, but at least are not letting the rest of the teams Going too far away, 29 points for Strasbourg, 21 for Ajaccio, who are 10 points away from rele from relegation um, survival, which is going to be really, really complicated for Ajaccio. Uh, for Strasbourg, you know they have to keep going. Um, there's there's Brest two points ahead, Nantes two points ahead, and Auxerre three points ahead. So if they keep getting good results, they'll I'm sure eventually find a way to stick back to those three teams. Let's have a look at our goal scorers in Ligue 1. Uh, and we have, of course, we have, of course, Mbappé. Mbappé at the top of the list, 20 goals, followed by Jonathan David, 20 as well. And then Alexander Lacazette, 19, for Follarin Balogun, 18, and Wissam Benyeder, 17. We have a lot of really, really good strikers this season in Ligue 1. It'll be interesting to see how many stay next year. I mean, of course, Follarin Balogun is already almost gone and, and so is maybe Jonathan David and Luis Openda. Uh, but, but those players have really had, um, successful seasons in Ligue 1 and, and hopefully they'll stay the same, uh, for, um, next season. The next round of games this weekend, of course, round 32 in Ligue 1 will start on Friday night, like Saturday morning with a very unbalanced encounter, Angers against Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, the other games of the weekend, Auxerre against Lille, Stade de Reims against Strasbourg, Ajaccio against Brest, Lorient against Toulouse, Nantes against Troyes, Nice against Clermont, Montpellier against Rennes, and the two games that you do not want to miss, Saturday night or Sunday morning here in Australia, Lens against Monaco, and Sunday night or Monday morning here in Australia, Lyon against Marseille. That's it for Casse de Ligne. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you're here, that means you found uh, this lovely podcast uh, on, on your channel. So subscribe, rate, please share, comment, let me know what you think. Uh, and yes, spread the love. It's uh, only a few games left in Ligue 1 this season before we take a, a short break of our, of our French football. Uh, but we'll have time to you know wrap up that Ligue 1, talk about what happened. We have a little 
episode in preparation from with Baptiste from Le Classic uh, to do the draft like we did last year as well. Uh, so we have some good content coming out uh, in Ligue 1. Uh, I'll, of course, see you next week. Hopefully by then, Nice will be in the semi-final of the Europa Conference League. They, they did 2-2 against Basel in Switzerland last week and, and they have to win at home now to, uh, to secure that one. Uh, and hopefully as well, there'll be less of the field drama and more on the field drama to keep us, uh, you know, engaged until the very end. Thank you again for listening to Casse Ligne, brought to you by Breaking the Lines and I'll see you next week. Ciao, ciao.